It's Friday the 11th of February 2022 and you're listening to episode 53 of Reds Unrestricted. This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts. Well, last night, Liverpool obviously dominated Leicester at Anfield in quite a good atmosphere, to be fair. Um, And before we get into the entirety of the podcast, let's get a few words um, on the overall performance from both David and Dan, who obviously joins us every single week on this podcast. Uh, So, David, I'll come to you first. Um, Before your three-match word review, which you can put in this at the end, uh, what did you think of the overall performance by Liverpool? Well, first off, I was, I think, expecting like a little bit more from us just because, you know, we've seen how many players have returned from injury now. Um, and, you know, I looked at the lineup, I was really excited by it. And I thought we didn't create a huge amount, although we had some nice sort of flowing moves. Second half, the start was a bit slow. I think it was something they mentioned on the BT coverage as well. Sort of the first 15 minutes of the half, it was a bit flat. But honestly, the last half an hour of the game, really, I thought we were excellent. Um, we were completely dominant. Um, and, you know, we could have scored, certainly could have scored three or four goals. I think the most encouraging thing for me, though, is the level of control that we had. So obviously, you know, you're nervous in that situation because it's still 1-0 and you're missing opportunities. You know, we missed some really good chances before we got the second goal quite late on. But the key thing for me is that Leicester didn't really look dangerous. You know, a lot of the times when they were kind of getting in, they were offside and we we marshaled them quite well. And, you know, it's really important for Liverpool to have control of games because that has been, I think, the key thing. And we'll probably speak about this a bit more in the podcast, but that's been the key thing that's hurt us in the title race, I think, is not, you know, letting games sort of get away from us. But yesterday... It wasn't like that. I thought we kept Leicester at arm's length, uh, and it was it was a really dominant, assured display. Like I say, the only reason there was anxiety was because you're always going to be nervous at one 0 when you when the second goal is proven elusive. But it wasn't anxiety that was coming from Leicester looking dangerous, and that's testament to us because even though they're in bad form, you know you look at the players that started and they bring on the likes of Ian Acho and Barnes and Tielemans as well, who were all three really good players. So they've got like really you know, quality players at their disposal, but they didn't look like um, they could test yesterday. So really encouraging from that point of view. And before I move on to Dan, can I get your three match with review? Yes. So I was torn between something about the performance and something about Jota. Obviously the, the man of the match yesterday with his two goals, I decided to go with, um, with something on Jota in the end. I went with killer number nine. And the reason I went with that was because um, I've seen a lot of stuff recently about really the place of the goal scorer in the Premier League this season. You know, you look at the likes of of Kane and, and Lukaku really haven't got the kind of numbers that you'd expect from them for, for various reasons, I suppose. But even sort of up and down the league, you know, you look at the players at the top of the goal scoring charts, there's a lot of like wingers up there rather than sort of centre forwards. But Jota really is is the one who looks like the sort of best kind of goal scorer, out and out goal scorer in the in the division in a way because the instincts that he has are just are just so sharp. Like you look at the amount of goals, there were two more yesterday that you know one of them is kind of when the ball breaks to him, and then there's 
the second one where Matip kind of feeds it to him. But he's basically scored in almost all his goals in the width, the width of the two posts and sort of around the six-yard box, which is kind of a dream from like an analyst point of view, I suppose. And yeah, I just think that it's not you can't really characterize him as a poacher. I think he's a he's, he's more than that. But um just as a a goal scorer, he's supreme, isn't he? Like 60 games for Liverpool, 30 goals, exactly one and two. It's a pretty incredible record. And um yeah, obviously there's there's plenty more to come from him as well. One of my favourite players now for sure. Yeah, he's been absolutely brilliant for us. Um I agree. I think he's been one of the best players in the Premier League overall, uh, never mind just as a striker. Uh, what a signing he was, and it came out of the blue, which I think makes it even sweeter. Um, but now, Dan, what did you think of the overall performance of us? And can I get your three-word match review, please? Yeah, um, performance-wise, similar to what Dave said, really. You know, we were in control for the most part. Leicester had moments. Obviously, Alisson makes that decent save relatively early on. But a lot of Leicester's threat seem to come in very brief, potentially counter-attack type situations. They never really had any passage of play whereby they dominated the ball, which which was nice. I thought for the sort of first half an hour, we had a lot of possession without really showing much cutting edge. But then sort of towards the tail end of the first half, we stepped it up a level. It looked like Leicester couldn't really handle us when we did that. When we played quickly and we harried them and we made them make mistakes, they just couldn't deal with us at all. Um, and obviously we get the goal before half-time and then you think, if we come out sort of second half with that same intensity, Leicester will never live. And that's how it proved. Um, took a while to get the second goal, so there was sort of, you know, minor anxiety creeping in. But like Dave said, Leicester never really showed the teeth at any point. They never really got a foothold in the game. So... You know, as much as a game is secure at 1-0, which obviously it isn't, that was a pretty safe 1-0 for large parts. Um, and obviously Jota, the man is just lethal. He, he's, we've said it, you know, countless times now. Um, although I'm not sure Liverpool fans will appreciate the number nine tag Dave's just given because he definitely wears a number 20. But um, you know what I mean. Um, yeah, listen, the, the lad's absolutely unstoppable. Um, and he is more than a fox in a box, like Dave says. But... You know, as much as he's got to his game in terms of quality, in terms of link-up, you know, he, he's not quite at Firmino levels on that side of things, in my point of view, but he's not far behind. But what he has got, which Firmino has always lacked, is that killer instinct in front of the goal. Like, you know, we've all seen poachers down the years, like Robbie Fowler, you know, Michael Owen as well, as much as we, you know, we're not massive fans of him anymore. But he was brilliant. That sort of thing was popping up in the right place at the right time. And, Jota's got that knack and and he's he's absolutely outstanding. Um, in terms of three word match review, I've shied away from performance and Jota um, and gone for uh, ready made star in Luis Diaz because I've not seen. I mean, he's been in the country a week, let not even a week probably, let alone a Liverpool player training and matches, and I've not seen a more impressive debut for a long time. Like he looks purpose built to play in this Liverpool side. Like his link up with Robertson last night was outstanding. For somebody who's probably trained a handful of times with him, you know, that was his first game alongside Robertson because obviously he had Simicas for periods the other day against Cardiff. Absolutely unbelievable performance. And like I say, that fella, like we often sign someone that takes a little while for them to like get integrated. 
that hasn't been the case with him. And by all accounts, his language barrier is still there with Klopp and the rest of the players. Obviously, you heard Robertson say about his Spanish not being great and his Scottish not being great either. So, yeah, I, I just I just loved it. I thought it was great to see. Um, so, yeah, for me, it would be ready-made star with Louis Diaz. Yeah, I think uh, pinpoint correct there. I think Luis Diaz was absolutely sensational last night. Uh, one of many impressive performances. Um, and sadly, he couldn't get the goal. I think Michael absolutely saved Leicester at times. Um, the one that goes through his legs, but he just gets enough on it. And Luis Diaz doesn't score on his Premier League debut. Um, but yeah, the, the link-up play. And also the thing that caught me, when Salah hit the bar, uh, the ball comes back out to Luis Diaz and on the volley it's one and oh my god the the scream I made the venom in that shot was ridiculous I honestly thought it was Edmonds Hopkins um, sadly Michael was there again uh, but for me my three word match review is it's still on and the reason I believe that is because as a Liverpool fan I'm always going to have hope I think Leicester was a really tough game uh, or at least it looked it in the preview uh, and in the end, I think it just showed the absolute class of this squad depth that we now have, the class of the team with all our players back. Um, you know, I still think we're in with a chance with that league. And until it's mathematically impossible, I'll continue to believe that. But the Reds do have to go on a runner form. And I'm hoping this is the beginning of a runner form because it sure does look good and it looks like it can be. Uh, now, obviously, we've talked a bit about Luis Diaz already and, and Dan's mentioned him but I'll get your thoughts on him David how how did you think he played um, because I've also got to talk about his work ethic because he was absolutely all over that pitch um, at times he was back defending winning the ball and by the way how much strength does he have every single time a ball's coming in the air he just takes a touch and pushes everyone away from him um, he protects the ball really well as well so what did you think of his performance? Well, yeah, there's a lot to sort of digest from the performance. I think you're right about the strength. He, again, doesn't look like someone maybe who would have that physical presence, but his physique maybe belies the reality in that way. And certainly the point about work race as well, it was something that Robertson mentioned in that in that post-match interview. He said, you know, that's one way to sort of get the crowd on side. But even beyond that, you know, there was plenty of shows of quality from him. And I think the thing that really struck me about, about Diaz was, Something Klopp said in his uh, his post match interview when when he was asked about him and he sort of explained the thinking process and it was like he spoke with the coach and staff and they just thought you know what let's give it a try and he's I think the phrase he uses without five million formations or something like that and I sort of took that to mean they've almost put him in just almost like it's a cliche but they've let him kind of express himself and without maybe overloading them with too much information about how the team plays, etc. And he still will obviously have to get used to the workings of Klopp's Liverpool. I think in the first half, there was moments where I'm looking at him and he's maybe not in the position I'd expect Sadio Mane to be in. Obviously, it's the first game that, you know, he's not going to be a Mane sort of replica in, in that sense. And then there's other situations as well where maybe he's doing things that, our wingers wouldn't ordinarily do like there was a couple of crosses he pulled back into the box so we have to adapt to him and he has to adapt to us but that's encouraging because you know that the foundation yesterday the performance was really good and to know that there's so much more to come as that kind of learning process takes place is is really exciting and yeah you know like you alluded to he had a 
couple of chances where he could have scored. It's really encouraging that he's able to to get in those goal scoring positions, certainly. So yeah, really, really good stuff from him on the whole. And you know, he'll be in with shout as well of starting against Burnley at the weekend, I'd say. You mentioned Burnley on the weekend, and I'll come to you, Dan. Does his performance yesterday mean that he's going to start, basically? Because obviously Mane only just got back. I think Jürgen Klopp joked about him still being in bed by the time kickoff was was around. Um, But he does have competition in Mane. So do you think he will be a great impact sub, or do you reckon he will have his start because of the performance he put in? Oh, um. It's such a difficult one because obviously there's a lot to sort of, you know, find out from where Sadio Mane's at. I think Klopp said this morning he's he's back in training, if you like, today. What sort of session that would be is a different story. But for me, Diaz's performance yesterday certainly warrants another start. Um, whether Mane comes back, as we all expect him to, sort of firing on all cylinders on top of the world, you know, looking to prove a point, I suppose, back in Liverpool shirt. Because I've said it before, his form hasn't been, you know, peak Mane levels. And obviously, while he's been away, we've signed direct competition for his place. So he's going to be, you know, coming back with the bit between his teeth and wanting to, you know, wanting to put his stamp on this Liverpool side and show that he is still, you know, the preferred choice out there. So it's a difficult one for me. I think Diaz does start the game um, just because of all the factors. Obviously, we've seen a bit of him now. You know, he played. He was superb last night, like we already said. And I'm not convinced. Mane should probably do something similar to what Salah did last night in terms of come off the bench, um, which is a great option to have, obviously. So it's a difficult one. There's difficult decisions to be made. A lot will depend on fitness and how they've all shaped up after the minutes they've played all over the world. But yeah, if you ask me right now, I think Diaz is, is ahead of Mane to start on Sunday. And we'll obviously get more onto the Burnley preview later on in the podcast. And I'll come back to you, Dan, um, because there was two more outstanding players last night uh, who rightfully got applauded, and that is Thiago and Fabinho. And I think um, the reason we were so dominant was because of those two in midfield. Fabinho, my word, the amount of interceptions that lad has. <laughs> yeah. He was absolutely everywhere. Thiago was just silky as ever on the ball. Um, and at times it was like you almost didn't realise Thiago um, until he did a like, 40-yard ball and you were like, there he is. But he was actually doing everything. He was keeping us uh, controlled. He was recycling the ball while moving us forward. What did you think about those two in midfield? Because obviously... I think the the stat is that Thiago, with Thiago and Fabinho in, or at least Thiago this season, we've won every single game. So he's clearly a key figure uh, to keep fit. And if we can manage to keep them both fit and together on the pitch, I think we might have one of the best midfielders in midfields in the league, if not the world. Yeah, definitely. It's an interesting one, isn't it? Because obviously we've spoke previously about you know the midfield and what we believe our strongest midfield to be. And and it's kind of shifted from the Fabinho, Thiago and Henderson trio to as long as Fabinho and Thiago were there, we're OK. And that's happened, you know, over a period of weeks. And it's interesting because, you know, with Thiago's injury problems, we always, it's kind of highlighted how much we miss him because the performance does drop off and the results drop off as well. So, you know, when he does come back, it just shows you how important he is already to this side, particularly alongside Fabinho, I think. Those two, 
like counteracted each other so perfectly well in that midfield because obviously we've got the defensive mindness of Fabinho, who's just so good at you know setting us off and winning the ball back. But he doesn't have to be the dictator of play with Thiago. He can win the ball back. You mentioned interceptions there. I think Fabinho. I mean, he set a new Premier League high last night for seven interceptions. Um, but that's also what he's so good at, you know, obviously the lighthouse nickname. He just reads the play so well. But then all he can do is say, OK, I'll give it to the man now who is essentially the pace setter for this Liverpool side. Thiago is so good at dictating play from that position. You know, he can sense almost like telepathically how the attack needs to be built. He's really good at slowing it down when we need to. And obviously the game situation comes into that as well, because if we're chasing a game or the game's tight, he can set us off on the front foot in an aggressive manner. But if we're, you know, cruising like we were at points last night, he can comfortably just take the whole pace out of the situation and and put us back in control. So the way he sets the tempo is phenomenal. Um, and yeah, those two rightly got a lot of credit last night. But it's not just last night. It's those two in this Liverpool midfield, almost nearly with anyone as the third player, give us such a strong foothold in any game of football um, and if we're going to do anything this season, like trophy wise I think those two playing sort of 90% of the games between now and the end of the season is going to be absolutely crucial And for the listeners obviously who are not fortunate enough to be at the game Dan, try and explain what it's like to see Thiago live <laughs> in the flesh because it is something else Yes, it is. Yeah, that man, he's breathtaking to watch. He's, there's not many players. Like this Liverpool side, this Liverpool squad over the past few years have been full of high-class players, like world-class players. And we've seen them do some incredible things, um, all of them. But very few, I'd say only probably Salah, and occasionally Firmino, if I'm going to be honest, have done something that genuinely make you almost stop and like, you know, want to take in what you just watched. And Thiago is one of them. Although a lot of what he does, you know, he doesn't score 40 yard screamers. Although that goal against Porto was obviously a delight. The way he conducts himself and the way he almost presents the football to other people is just incredible to watch. Trent is another one I've got to say in terms of the technique both of them have got. It does take your breath away. And to watch him, like you say, absolutely conduct a game of football for midfield is just a joy. Yeah, it almost feels like you're hypnotised when Thiago is on the pitch. You, you just, your eyes follow him everywhere. And David, I'll bring you into this conversation now. And another thing that I picked up on was obviously Jordan Henderson uh, was left out of the entire squad. Um, and my only worry about Jordan Henderson in the last couple of weeks is mainly the fact that I don't think he can complete 90 minutes any game. And my other problem with Thiago in the last couple of weeks was they both seem to be taken off um, in, in the last games that they've both played together. Uh, and so I was really, really happy to see Thiago get a full 90 minutes and not be absolutely gassed and have to come off uh, around the 70th minute mark. And maybe that's because we were so dominant um, but he he was able to stay on the pitch. He's not got an injury. He played outstanding. Um, so it is bright for the for the rest of the season as long as we can keep him fit, isn't it? Yeah, hundred percent. And you know the point about him not playing ninety minutes. I think yesterday 
I'm not, I'm not exactly sure, but I wouldn't be surprised if it was maybe the first time all season or, or certainly one of the first times that he's done that because obviously he's one of the players that we are especially keen to try and protect. You know, the stat you mentioned before, Chloe, about every game, I think another important thing to mention with that is not only have we won all those games, but we've only actually conceded two goals across the nine, which, you know, is a testament really to, like I said before, the level of control that he gives us and, you know, people talk about defensive records, but for me, the level of protection and security that is, you know, provided in midfield when we have Fabinho and Thiago for me is what really makes the difference. Um, and I think, you know, there's definite tactical reasons for that. I mean, even with that partnership, you know, there's an article from uh, Pierce this morning in The Athletic, 17 games, they've played 16 wins. You know, that's not a coincidence, is it? That's an That's an incredible record and it's, just a world-class duo and the thing I wonder with this is you know obviously it's when we bought Thiago we knew that this was a possibility so it's not like we've been extremely unlucky or anything like that but I do just wonder if we'd managed to keep Thiago fit largely for the season how, how much smaller the gaps of City would be and you know I'm not saying that it's not bridgeable I think it just about is I mean, City look absolutely imperious, but the fact that the gap could be three points if we win our games at hand and, and win at the Etihad means that it's still doable. But I just wonder what the situation would be, in, you know, if we'd had Thiago the whole time, because a lot of the times when we drop points, it has, like I say, been situations that we've sort of thrown away where we've had the lead, um, games like Brighton and. Chris, not Crystal Palace, Brentford as well. You know, I think there was the the, Ch- the Chelsea game, you know, the midfield there was an issue. Spurs, although we had, I think we had, you know, 10 men towards the end of that game, so that's maybe more understandable. But, you know, you look at those drop points and we haven't dropped, you know, a huge amount. It's mostly been draws. You only lost two games. But you look at some of those draws and you think, is Thiago the difference maker? And by the same token, if we can keep Thiago fit, for this final stretch or for most of the game, certainly as we sort of near the running, then our chances of winning, you know, at least one of the the trophies that we want to win, I think increases hugely um, just because of the the nature of the performances. And certainly when you look at like a Champions League tie, you know, if you don't have him in, you're worried that there's going to be a spell in a game where we'll, we'll just lose control and it proves fatal. Um, whereas I think we can sort of be like remain in charge of a game with him playing. So I think, yeah, absolutely crucial. And I can only echo what, what you said as well about his his sort of abilities and, and also how good Fabinho was yesterday. He's just a player that makes you just a player that makes you feel safe. And you know, we can't take for granted how important it is and how fortunate we are really to have um one of the best players in the world in his position. Yeah, uh, an absolute brilliant duo, which hopefully can stay fit and play together week in, week out, even if it does mean, you know, taking Thiago off as maybe your first sub. Um, and obviously, there were so many impressive performances all over that pitch. I, for me, I picked out Virgil van Dijk straight away. Um, I just think every time that ball was getting hoofed up, he was always first to it. I, I was nearly laughing at the fact that he was just brushing these players off. Um, and fair play to the Leicester strikers who didn't go down and fall on the floor. They literally managed to stay up. 
Um, but Virgil van Dijk's just such a colossal at the back. He, he was unbelievable, constantly keeping us uh, with possession when maybe they could have a chance on the break and it looked like he didn't even have to get out of, you know, second gear. But I will stick with you, David. Um, is there any honourable mentions that you want to you wanna talk about um, that we've not mentioned already? Well, first of all, I definitely agree with you on Van Dijk. And I think that he hasn't had enough sort of widespread credit this season when he has played really well. Um, you know, before he was injured, you kind of just take that for granted. But, you know, to be doing that after such a serious injury and I think still being the best centre-back in the league and, and probably the world as well, you know, that deserves, you know, quite a lot of kudos, which maybe he isn't, isn't really getting. And I think something that just occurs to me now is, like, with Van Dijk, there isn't a profile of strike you like vulnerable to. Like he's just complete as a centre half. So you have, you know, the more physical strikers, and you know, on Sunday he'll be up against Red Course too. You know, it'll be kind of a a bit of a box match really. Um, with the centre backs in that one, but you'd back him to sort of to be dominant there. Touchwood and. Yesterday he was up against Dakar, who he described himself as, as crazy quick in his uh, his post match interview. But he just it's almost like he's immune to any any sort of profile of striker that, that can be thrown at him. And uh yeah, just a fantastic performance with him yesterday. Um he was an absolute rock. Other players, I mean, the thing about the performance yesterday was uh, it was so impressive, particularly like I say, in that last 30 minutes that there was Really good performances across the board. I thought Trent, even though he didn't have an assist yesterday, he played some, you know, brilliant long passes. I thought Salah, when he came on, didn't get a goal, which would have been, you know, obviously a really special moment on the back of it. It's sort of heartbreak with Egypt. But some of the moments of play, like the the little the, the, the shuffle, the footwork leading to that chance in, in the sort of six-yard box, which I think we've seen him score goals like that before against you know, sort of Napoli and, and Chelsea. Nearly produced a, a special moment there. There was the the way he left Ndidi for dead uh, leading to the one-on-one was was amazing as well. Just a shame he couldn't apply the finishing touch there. Good save from the goalkeeper, to be fair. And yeah, obviously the shot as well. I mean, the trajectory of that shot is insane. You know, you, you look at it, when you're watching it like live, or you know certainly on the TV, when he hits it, I was like, oh, it's it's gonna sort of be maybe a yard over the bar, so fairly close, but uh, maybe not troubling the goalkeeper. But then it just carries on dipping and bending, and it and I get almost like it's the angle. It's a ridiculous shot, and I'm sure being like right behind the Chloe, you <laughs> you must have like heart must have been in your mouth when you saw that sort of dip start to uh you know start to like near the top corner. But uh, yeah, the last person I'd say after Salah would be Harvey Elias, actually, who, you know, had a decent amount of time off the bench again. And I thought was, you know, really, really good. Um, the decisions he makes when he's on the ball, I think uh, almost always the right decision. Um, and he's obviously, you know, technically he's brilliant as well. And I think, you know, we'll get on to the Burnley game in a bit, but I think he made a, a fairly strong case to to be in the start 11 for that one uh, based off how he's played obviously um, last weekend as well he got he scored that brilliant goal so he looks really really sharp um, straight away off the back of what was a, obviously a pretty horrible injury 
Yeah, 100%. A load of individual star performances there. Um, I'm not going to lie, that Mo Salah shot, I thought he ballooned it over the bar. Uh, every, everyone was sat there, and then the next thing, it dipped. And everyone went, oh! And then everyone turned to each other and was like, wait, that that looked certain to be hitting the heavens. Uh, and then Luis Diaz has that unreal shot as well, where um, it's got so much power and it's ridiculous. But yeah, um, Salah's little turn inside the boxes, it, it reminded me... Um, of Everton away, uh, Everton at home, I think, where he, he scores the beautiful goal and he just shrugs off the defender uh, and whips one top bin. This one was a bit different, but he shrugged off the player. He turned them inside out. Um, and my word, what a goal that had to be in. Uh, sadly, he did not get it. Um, a name, Dan, that has not been mentioned, which um, it's not one of his runs and, and an absolute screamer that he scored, but my word, you felt like matter with how many we like the past however many weeks this season even uh, his lovely little runs the way he carries the ball forward is like he pick he unlocks the the, the center halves in the midfield to be fair with this his balls inside um into the space but that assist my um I didn't even see it on. I didn't know that there was a gap and he somehow managed to put it through uh, the lad's legs and, and got an assist for himself. Yeah, and if we ever need an auxiliary number 10, I think Joel Matip has put in a serious <laughs> audition over the past few months. Um, yeah, I, I listen, I think we all want him to score one of those Maisie runs one of these days, and I think he's pretty destined to do so. Um, if anyone hasn't seen like a compilation video, I suppose, of him doing that in previous carnations as well, when he was at um, a Schalke, he was doing similar things and actually scoring and assisting as well. So... For, you know, a world-class centre-half, he's got this creative instinct, hasn't he? Um, and the pass last night for Jota, like you say, is, is brilliant. Um, I think it actually nutmegs and Didi as well on the way through. So, yeah, it's an absolute delight. But I think he was very good again all round last night. I think what he does when he does drive into midfield is Liverpool is so good at dictating and almost swarming opposition sides that an opposition side like a Leicester last night might have thought, OK, we've all got our individual men, we've all dealt with this situation in our area, and then all of a sudden Joel Matip breaks free, and it's like, oh, OK, someone's someone's then got to come out of position and go and deal with him without getting into the vagaries of tactics. But it's a really good weapon for us, um, him doing that. And one person I do want to say as well, um, who I thought was outstanding last night, in particular linking up with Diaz, was Andy Robertson. I thought he was brilliant. I thought that was one of his better performances this season, actually, particularly in the attacking sense. I don't think he had much to do defensively, but in the attacking sense, I thought he was superb down the left, especially with somebody, like I alluded to earlier, who he's barely played with. I thought there was really positive signs there from them too. Yeah, I'll come back to you on Matt. Do you think he's one of the most criminally underrated players in the Premier League right now? Probably, yeah. And I think a lot of that is down to... It's a bit unfortunate in a way. I think a lot of it's down to his unavailability previously because he's always been... We've seen him come in and out of the side and be, you know, absolutely world-class. He's got. He's always got, you know, the ability to, to be missing for a few weeks and come back in like he's never been away, which has been really important because God knows he's been missing a lot. But I think that all plays into the fact he is underrated because... When you miss him for so long, this season he hasn't been, obviously, so people are starting to talk about him a little bit more. But it's hard to talk about a player who 
in such glowing terms when they're not available and they're not around often enough. But now, like I say, he is available and he is playing week in, week out. We might start to hear him getting the accolades and the praise that he deserves. Yeah, for sure. Um, and what I'd like to put in there as well, you mentioned Andy Robbo and uh, since he had competition from this cast, he's yes. raised his level to yeah, a completely yeah. new thing. He's, he's, you know, established himself as that left back position again. Uh, and maybe Manny can do that. Um, obviously, I want to see Lewis Diaz, but I also want Manny to get back to the to the player he was when we won the league. Um, and having those two players at your disposal at that level is unbelievable. So hopefully Luis Diaz being brought in has a really positive effect on Sadio Mane. Uh, but now we will look ahead to Burnley, which is at 2pm on Sunday. Um, and I'll come to you, David, first. Uh, I think I read that Burnley have only won one game all season. Um, they played 20 and won one. My word, I could not believe that. Even though I knew they were bottom of the table, I thought maybe you might have a bit more than just one win. Uh, the closest team to them is Watford and also Norwich, actually, who both have four wins. Uh, what have you thought of Burnley this season? And even though they've got two games in hand, three on some, uh, do you think they are destined to go down? Well, it's weird with Burnley because... You know, I've got the league table up now. Obviously, one win, like you say, which I think was in maybe October against Brentford. But, you know, the rest of the stats kind of... I mean, obviously, that's a pretty glaring, like, worry. But the rest of the stats actually look all right. I mean, they've only lost eight games the whole season. And, you know, you look up the table, you've got teams as high as sort of... You know, that's the same amount as uh, West Ham have lost in their fourth. Um, but they've drawn 11 um, and it's basically their failure to win kind of the, the six pointers, which is hurting them. So I don't think they beat Norwich at home. Um, there was the game against Watford last week. They didn't win, um, didn't win against Newcastle either. So they're not losing them. But yeah, they're not able to get those sort of crucial points. And it's difficult in it because there's, there are so many games in hand, but the rate that they're actually picking up points, it might not make too much of a difference. And I think they just... It it seems to me they just aren't scoring goals. Like, um, you know, the the creativity doesn't seem to be there. I don't think McNeil's like having the best season again. I'll have to touch wood on that one because you know I don't want to be talking <laughs> opposition players down before we face them, especially because he's someone who I think has had good, good games against us in the past. But yeah, I think that kind of supply line hasn't really been there. You know, you saw before Chris Wood went to Newcastle, he only scored I think three goals which is kind of, he'd previously been a fairly consistent goal scorer, but even he, you know, wasn't able to make the impact he, he'd had in previous years. And obviously, Cornet has been um, a bit of a revelation. I'd be glad to have him back um, after kind of a period of injury. And Afghan, and he's probably the main sort of danger man to watch out for. But it feels like up to now, there's basically been too much responsibility placed on him. And, you know, without him, they'd probably be dead and buried already. Um, and the hope will be that that course can kind of um, alleviate some of the, the pressure on him. I mean, defensively, again, I mean, they've only scored 17 goals, which is the second worst behind Norwich. Um, but defensively, 28 goals conceded. I mean, again, you, you look up the table, West Ham, again, have conceded more and they're fourth in the league. So it's like they're not conceding many, but they're losing by, by fine margins because they don't have the the goal scoring threat themselves. So I don't think it's going to be necessarily easy for us. Obviously, we saw 
Manchester United draw there the other day. Um, whether a team gain a point against Man United is a big achievement these days. I'm I'm not exactly sure. Um, but uh, yeah, I didn't watch that game, but it's interesting really because that would probably have been regarded as a bonus point had they managed to win the game. Obviously, then that kind of alters the dynamics again because um, it takes some of the pressure maybe off this game. This one won't be one that they're, they're sort of, you know, if this kind of cliche is true, that teams look at the fixtures and decide where they need to pick up points, this will be one that I think will probably have been written off um, given the level level that Liverpool are at. Not that that's going to impact on the amount that sort of Burnley, you know, put into the game. But um, yeah, so obviously com- coming in off the back of, uh, you know, holding United to a draw, that's something to kind of bear in mind and maybe um, sort of temper our optimism a little bit. Um, but yeah, a strange, a strange one in it because of the sort of kind of unique stats we're seeing, we're seeing from them in terms of whether they'll go down. You know, you never want to. I think I've said in the past that Sean Dyche is Burnley. I felt like one of the great certainties in life in a way that they always manage to to find the points and you know exactly what you're going to get from them in terms of their style of play. Um, so you never want to write them off from that point of view, but this season certainly feels um, different to previous years because they're not winning those six points, like I said. Yeah, and, and just to give you another little stat there, uh, Everton are only five points ahead of them. Um, <laughs> sorry. Uh, five points ahead of them and Burnley have a game in hand on them. Uh, so, you know, they're not in a great position either. And also, if you look up the table, yeah, Watford and Norwich have got four games won, Burnley only one. But there's actually only, you know, three points within that. Um, so it is really tight at the bottom. And and Dan, they've obviously bought, I'm going to say Workhouse. And if someone, if I've said it wrong, someone can have a go at me. Um, he's six foot six. He had, to be fair to him, um, he absolutely turned Sean and Maguire the other day. It was dead funny. It was brilliant. It kind of reminded me of Nat Phillips when he did it to a slash on it. But, you know, um, he looks good. He looks decent. He had some good link-up play with Rodriguez. Rodriguez scores a lovely goal. Um, so I think he could be good for them. Do you reckon he could cause us a lot of a lot of trouble? Because I think of that Brentford game uh, away from home where our centre-backs got bullied. Um, and maybe we all know how Burnley act and um, Barnes does well against us a lot of the time. And, and he is very much... The, the type of player to, to put one on yeah even if he's not going to win it air today he'll jump for it and put you off um but six for six where I was you know Van Dyke and and Matip might have some trouble against him. Yeah I think I think you'd be you know we'd be in denial if we said that you know a six foot six striker isn't going to cause problems because obviously he is and it's more the fact there's different type of problems. There's something Dave alluded to spoke about earlier um Van Dijk, Matip and Canate and Joe Gomez on his day are all equipped to deal with all kinds of issues. Um, we just don't see the issue of six or six strikers that often. I mean, you go back to obviously Peter Crouch's day. He created different problems for defenders, didn't he? Because of his height and the way he played. Um, and Vekos will be the same. Um, I still back us to, to deal with him. Um, I think the Brentford game you touched on is a really interesting point because we didn't deal with um, Tony particularly well that night or Embraimo alongside him for that matter. Um, but I just don't 
I almost feel like this Liverpool side is so good under Klopp, which is not exactly revelationary news, but because that happened earlier on in the season, we, we wouldn't let it happen again. Like we'd have learned from that and we'll have we'll have, you know, learnt our lesson and we'll know how to deal with that situation should it arise again. So should it arise again on Sunday, I'd back us to deal with it a lot better. Um, which obviously we'd have to because anything less than a win, you know, with City the way they're going, essentially, you know, probably ends our hopes for good. So yeah, he will create problems. I think Dwight McNeil and Corney are probably the two I'd, I'd fear most in this Burnley side. But, you know, they have their way of playing. And it's, you know, Klopp doesn't like playing Burnley. You can tell it, it would probably make Klopp's year if Burnley got relegated. And it's not like necessarily a slight on them necessarily in terms of the football club. It's just the way they play is the pole of opposites to the way we play. And we tend to have problems dealing with them more often than not. But, having said all of that, they are particularly poor this season so far. Um, and defensively, they're not quite as solid as they have been in previous years. Um, because they've always been difficult to break down. That hasn't necessarily proved to be the case at times this season. So, although, you know, they will cause problems and they often are hard to beat, particularly at home, I think if you look at our firepower and our squad availability at the minute is absolutely ridiculous, then there's absolutely no way we shouldn't be coming through this unscathed and with all three points. Yeah, and I'm going to say workhorse, which is probably the fourth time I've said it wrong. Um, and I've probably said it three different ways as well, to be honest. He's also if they get Dutch, relegated, you don't have to worry about it. it yeah, it's fine. Um but he is also Dutch. I know he's not played many games for the Netherlands, um, but maybe Van Dijk has some insight on him. Um, also in the German league, he, he played quite a lot as well. So um, for Wolfsburg, so he could have been in the eye. We, we might have some insight on him and how to play against him. And um, I think he should fear playing Virgil Van Dijk more than the other way around. Uh, but we will now get on to our preferred lineups. I'll start with you, David. Um, give me it from your goalkeeper all the way up into our striker. All right. So the thing I'm sort of bearing in mind here is obviously the intensity, the fixture schedule. Um, looking at it, you know, I, I kind of look for opportunities to like rotate um, on the horizon. It it looks to me like the best chance to do that in terms of maybe resting a few of the players who can't sort of do the three games a week um, on on loop would be Norwich next week um, at home. And, you know, obviously they're, they're fighting for points and they're not bottom of the league like Burnley are. But um, that looks like the, the most straightforward fixture in on, on the horizon. So that's the one I'd be looking to. So in terms of this weekend, I'd be going pretty close to full strength. Um, so obviously Alisson in goal. Um, Trent, I mean, I probably keep the same back four as yesterday. There's a case to be made, you know. We always seem to talk about when we face a really physical opponent. Um, you know, there's people seem to think that Kanate will be better equipped than Matip. I think, you know, they think back to that Brentford game that we spoke about. Um, but I think Matip can hold his own, and I think that was just kind of a, a blip for him at uh, that particular game. So I'd be happy to see him start again. Although obviously there's the inter game as well, so maybe Klopp thinks about Kanase from from that point of view. Midfield, um, it sounds from what he said this morning that uh, Klopp will be starting Henderson, um, who's who'll be back available. 
Um, but seeing as it's my preferred lineup, I'd go with obviously Fabinho and Thiago, we raved about earlier, and then Elliot as well, because I feel like he's earned it. Front line, um, one change from yesterday, and that would be Salah starting, um, which I think is kind of inevitable that he'll start now. Um, I'd keep Diaz in the team, give Mane half an hour off the bench with a view to starting Mane against Inter, um, and then uh, Jota obviously through the middle. So, yeah, my team, I think would, that would only be two changes um, from yesterday. And like I say, if there is an opportunity to make changes, it would be Norwich next week. Yeah, 100% that Norwich game at home as well with the atmosphere um, is an added bonus. So hopefully that is where we can maybe rotate some tea, uh, some players because we have a, a hectic schedule. Um, before we get to Dan, I'll give you mine, um, which is pretty much similar to David's, to be honest. Uh, the only thing you, you've said, um, Henderson there, which he wasn't in my preferred lineup either, to be honest. I actually thought Harvey Elliott, for the, the main reason of I don't know whether he's he's okay to start and, and play a full 90. Uh, yeah, I thought Naby Keita. Um, I did want to see Naby Keita instead of Curtis Jones uh, yesterday. Uh, obviously, that didn't happen. Um, but I think Naby Keita does deserve a go in the team again. So, um, even though I already know Henderson is starting, I'm still going to say Thiago Fabinho and Naby Keita, and uh, front three is the exact same as you, David. Um, obviously, I don't think you can sub Jota. Uh, it's just not going to happen. Uh, Salah's going to want to start, and when he wants, he will. And Diaz, yeah, sensational. Love to see Mane get a couple of minutes back, uh, see if he can impact the game, and also see what level he's at compared to, to Luis Diaz and how Luis Diaz plays. Um, and maybe the electrifying pace of these and, and the movement, uh, hopefully we can break down a Burnley side that will sit deep and uh, will be very physical with us. Uh, and and Dan, what uh, you know, have you got any changes in your preferred lineup compared to us two? Um, just one or two. Yeah, I have gone with Canate. Dave kind of preempted the reasons why. Um, absolutely adore Joe Matip, obviously for all the reasons we've about before, but. In terms of sort of rotation and in terms of attributes, I'd just go with Canate for this one. But, you know, that's very much flip of a coin territory, if I'm being brutally honest. Um, and I've also gone with Naby Keita in the midfield, similar to you, Chloe, um, alongside Fabinho and Thiago. Um, I just think he has that little bit of quality and class, adds that extra dimension to the midfield that we do need. Um, and I'm not convinced... But Elliot, Elliot is entirely ready for 90 minutes yet. I could be wrong. Um, but And if he is, then absolutely no issue with him starting. But yeah, Cater would be my choice. Um, and I've gone with the same front three as you two. Um, probably the only option in my eyes would be Jota goes out to the left and Firmino comes in for Diaz. But aside from that, I have gone with the Salah, Jota and Diaz trio, which is pretty frightening. Can I just say on... Um... On sort of Elliot and, and Keita, I think the one player who I was a little bit disappointed with yesterday, and you never really want to dig someone out after the victory. Um, I don't know if you two agree with this, but I was a little bit disappointed with Jones um, yes. yesterday. Um, so, you know, I'd be looking to kind of make the change in yeah. that position. And I was a bit a bit surprised that um, that Keita didn't play. I think there was a few people on Twitter who were. Um, so I'd be more than happy to see him start. One thing with Elliot, though, is that I think, you know, Case is decent for this as well, is 
I kind of fancy him against a low block to pick the right pass mm-hmm. and you know to the things he, he kind of tries to unlock it. I kind of I'm quite confident that they come off. And I've already seen and you and you do be tweets like this, but I've already seen one this morning saying, Oh no, don't play him against Burnley. He's only just come back from an injury. You don't want him to be going up against the, the thugs, the thugs in Sean Dice's <laughs> team. But when you think about it, like, you know, the injury that he got, you know, I don't think anyone thinks of Leeds as a particularly dirty side, do they? Not anymore. It, it, yeah, not not this current iteration anyway. Yeah. So you look at it and think, realistically, in football, you can never predict when an injury is going to come, you know. And the reality is he is going to be facing, you know, physical tests. So if we're confident in the rehab process that he's gone through, and I would be based on what we've seen so far, then I wouldn't have an issue with that. But I think, you know, you two make a fair point in terms of, are you going to put him in for, for 90 minutes yet when he's only had two half an hour games? Probably not. And then, you know, you can debate the wisdom maybe of putting someone on, when putting someone in the team, when you know you've got to take them off after sort of 60, 70 minutes. So, yeah, equally happy to see uh, Elliot or Keita, but yeah, it was a little bit um, disappointed with Jones yesterday. I don't think he, he took his opportunity fully. Yeah, and uh, I, I agree with that. I think he had some good moments, but maybe took one or too many touches uh, yeah. in and around the box. Yeah, did you think the same, Dan? Yeah, I did. Sorry, yeah, I did. And I think it's becoming a bit of a, a story of Jones's Liverpool career up until now, to be honest with you. You've just said there he didn't take his opportunity. And I think he's got talent and I think he's got abilities. I think no doubt about that. And I have been impressed with him in certain parts. I, I praised him like mad um, after that Brentford game, fully enough, because I thought he was one of the standout performers that night. But I don't know, there's just something about him, you know, in his Liverpool career up until now that Every time you think, okay, like there's a couple of injuries knocking around maybe, or he gets a big chance in a game and you think, okay, yeah, grab it and go and, you know, run with it now and really stake your claim. And he doesn't seem to be doing that. He almost seems to be moving himself back in the pecking order into that bit part player of his own accord. Like, he isn't stamping his authority on a match when he gets the opportunity to say, no, I want to be a part of this first team. He just keeps missing the opportunity time and time again. And I hope... You know, I'm sure it won't, but I, I'm, I hope the ship doesn't almost sail on it because we're looking to, you know, regenerate this squad and, you know, add players. You're looking at Carvalho coming in, who plays in a very similar role to Curtis Jones maybe in the summer. And you just think you can't let many more opportunities pass you by because we're getting better and better all the time. You need to go with this. Otherwise, who knows what could happen? Yeah, and obviously um, with the injuries that we've had in midfield, I think he's got more chances than he might have uh, any other season. And and hopefully, you know, some games he's done really well. Uh, some games he's been one of our key players uh, and other times he's slightly uh, maybe gone under the radar in the sense of we've won, but he's not really influenced the game as much. Um, and, and hopefully against Burnley, if he does start, uh, he can do something. But, but what I can assure you, is that all three of us have got the starting lineup incorrect because uh, <laughs> David at the very beginning said that, nailed on basically, Egan Klopp said that Henderson's starting and not one of us put him in our preferred lineups. Um, but I'll ask you for your score predictions before we end uh, the podcast. And I'll come to you, Dan. What score do you think it's going to be? 
I'll go 2-0. Um, similar to last night in terms of how the game pans out, to be honest with you. Um, I don't see them posing. They probably should pose even less threat than Leicester did, to be honest. Um, so, yeah, I'll go with 2-0, just having far too much for them. Yeah, I agree. I think it could go either way. Um, and this is the, the problem with Burnley, is that I think we could ride our 3-0 winners and absolutely dominate them. Or it could be a really scruffy game. It could maybe be 2-1 and we snatch a, a late winner. Clavan uh, they, time. Yeah, Clavan time, exactly. <laughs> um, I'm going to go with 3-0 and, and be optimistic. What about you, David? Well, I'll go to the, the other end of your scale because I am slightly anticipating kind of a scrappier scrappier one, I think. You know, where they maybe score a goal where it pings around a little bit in the six-yard box kind of thing. Just because of the, the nature of their sort of situation and um, you can sometimes find yourself in that kind of situation at Turf Moor. Although, to be fair, the last couple of times we've we've gone there, I think we've won 3-0 both times. So we found it easy enough, um, probably easier than we expected. But yeah, I'm expecting it to maybe be a little bit scruffy uh, this weekend. So I'd still be confident of winning because I feel like we've got a bit of momentum and, um, and confidence at the moment. But uh, yeah, I'll say 2-1. Yeah, it very much does feel like any drop points the league is over. So it is a massive, every single game now is massive for Liverpool. Liverpool have to pick up three points. Uh, but this is the end of the podcast. Thanks to David and also Dan. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, if you could for us, please rate it five stars on Spotify or any other platform that you're listening on. Um, also, next up, we have a special Inter Lowdown coming out on Monday. Uh, which we have already recorded. I will give you that little hint. Uh, it was a really good chat, really insightful, yeah. um, and a great build-up to the midweek Champions League football returns. Uh, hopefully you give it a listen on Monday. Till then, up the Reds.